1: Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or live questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send in questions that way. If you are driving in your car, you can use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to... Our studio producer. One more time, our main number is 340 9585. Well, lots going on because it's Wednesday. Tonight we will have our online service. I hate saying that. You know, you keep saying over and over online service. All that really means is that the people I love so much won't be here. Uh, but at CalvarySA.com at 7 o'clock, we'll be teaching from Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to be go backwards a little bit to verse 6 through, I think, verse 17 in Genesis 4. We're going to really look at at the anatomy of sin. We're going to look at the seven characteristics of sin. Um, I think it is a very, very worthwhile study. That is tonight at 7 o'clock on, at CalvarySA.com. Um, the good news about Wednesday programs is always that you're one day closer to Paula. She'll be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. And uh, we'd love to have your phone calls, any questions or comments that you have. And then we all need to get ready. Even though we're not going to be meeting together corporately, we need to get ready. Friday, um, Good Friday service. Um, ours is different, I think, than most people's. It's something that uh, we have really grown to love here at Calvary Chapel. And then, of course, Sunday morning, Uh, It's Resurrection Sunday, so uh, the day that we most enjoy being together, the day that we get to invite people always uh, to come to church, um, we're going to do it online, but you will be blessed, and we will go visit a tomb that should have had a body, but the body was not there. So that's what's going on this week here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. On Friday, Good Friday, our program will be a pre-recorded program, KSLR. Uh, the studio is closed. So I'll try to remind you of that again tomorrow. We'll have a repeat broadcast on Friday. And I pray you have a wonderful Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we're waiting for your phone calls. Our first question is uh, from Carlos from the northeast side. Hi, Pastor On. I just wanted to thank you again for last week. It really gave me hope. Uh, he, he had a question um, um, that, that I dealt with at the first part of the week. He, anyway, I have a question about John 3, verse 13. Jesus said, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the Son of Man. So where did Moses, Abraham, and Noah go to? Thank you again, and God bless. Carlos, if you look at Luke chapter 16, you'll find out where everybody before the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, every believer, um, those included in your list, those included certainly in Hebrews chapter 11, but, but everybody who believed, um, they went to the place called paradise, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Other uh, call it Abram's bosom. Um, but all of those Old Testament faith heroes uh, ended up there in uh, in paradise. Uh, you remember on the other side of paradise with a gulch established between them was a place of torment. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, the rich man Uh, went there and was in torment in this fire, his own words, Um, while Lazarus, the poor man, and this is not a parable, this is a real story, Lazarus, the poor man, who was a believer, he didn't get there because he was poor, he got there because he believed in the coming Christ, Um, he was um, in paradise. So that's where all of the others went to. One other thing, you know... um, when Jesus no one's ever gone into heaven um, uh, obviously the reverse nobody's come down and then gone up to heaven um Jesus just saying look i'm the one i'm the i'm the the firstborn uh from the dead um, he is the one who made the way for us, and I'm going to get to talk about that uh in our Bible study tonight I'm also going to get to talk about it gloriously i'm going to get to talk about it." on our good friday service carlos it's always good to hear from you thank you for sending in the question Uh, our next question comes from hector and he says how long did adam and eve live in the garden before the fall hector i wish we knew in fact i just talked about this last um wednesday night when we opened chapter four there's no way that we know how long they lived before the the fall we we don't know how old they were um we have no earthly idea. Um, I wish we did. I wish we had the details, but those are details that God evidently doesn't think that we needed to have. Uh, I personally think that the fall, and I kind of waffle on this from time to time, just trying to work it out of my mind, but I personally think that the fall came pretty quickly. Um, Satan was loose in the garden. Uh, I think it would have taken him some time to work on Eve and to prepare her uh, to be deceived, uh, but um, again, we, we don't have any way of knowing at all how long they were there. So I wish there was an answer, but there just isn't, there's not a single clue in all of Scripture uh, about how old they were. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor, Ron, my wife and I are separated and getting a divorce. Is it okay to start dating while the divorce is being finalized? Uh, Anonymous, all of your energy and all of your strength, and I realize not every uh, marriage is salvageable, but right now all of your energy ought to be spent on trying to reconcile. That's what the Lord says. While you're legally still married, then your energy should be spent on reconciling. It's that simple. You should be praying for your wife. You should be praying for you. And again, you didn't give me any details. But the one thing I can tell you most certainly is it is a sin for a married person to date somebody else. I know in our culture it's like, well, we're done, the marriage is over. But remember, we're not people in this world, we're people of God. And so not only should you not do it, but you shouldn't even be thinking about it at this point. You've just been through, or not even been through, you are going through a traumatic experience. And all of your time and all of your energy right now ought to be spent on getting as close to the Lord as you possibly can. You need to accept personal responsibility. And I would, if I was talking to your wife, I'd tell her the same thing. You need to accept personal responsibility for your failure. I want you to think about this, Anonymous. You and your wife stood before God, stood before witnesses, and promised God that you would remain married until death do your part, or when I do the weddings, I always say until Jesus comes for us. But people make that promise. And we so casually... Break these promises to God. And not only that, now you're already planning who you're going to date. So it's just not okay. This is a time for reflection. This is a time to accept personal responsibility. It's a time to ask God to forgive you for your failures. And if you're already planning on dating... You've missed the whole point of this terrible trauma that you're going through. You know, the Bible says when two people get married, they become one. That's why it's so painful when we have divorces. If there's children and you don't indicate whether there are or not. If there's children, we think, oh, they'll get over it. They're young. They don't get over it. Now, we can lie to ourselves, but God knows they don't get over it. This is traumatic for kids. But it's also traumatic for you because when two become one the only way to separate them is to break you both you're supposed to cleave to one another and now you've taken the steps of being ripped apart from one another and anonymous that hurts and I think both of you need to deal with your broken promise to God your broken promises to one another you need to be on your knees in repentance and as I said at the beginning what you ought to be thinking about is how can I save this marriage how can I reconcile again I'm not being naive here I know that marriages are broken sometimes irretrievably but for you to be planning on dating already I think I don't know who you are I think is an indication of where your heart has been all along maybe that was part of the problem that led to the divorce or that is leading to the divorce in the first place. We cannot be casual about our marriage vows. We cannot be casual about our promises to God. Here is a question from Todd. He says, Are there modern day apostles and prophets? Todd, the answer is no. Not in the same sense. Now, we can take the general word for apostle. Uh, It just means one who is sent by God. But if you're talking about the office of apostle, there are none. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and, and beyond, talks about how the church is built. The church is built, and it's in the current present tense in Greek. In other words, the church is being built continually. That's present and future tense on a foundation already laid by the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. Now, Todd, this is the way this has always worked in my mind, the way I picture this um, uh, Ephesians 2 passage. Um, You you look at a foundation. I'm not a construction guy. I really can't build anything, and uh, so, so this is just an example, not an experience. Um, but, but there's a solid foundation and Jesus is in the corner and in his right hand he's got the apostles and in his left hand he's got the prophets and he's holding on to them and he's building his church on that foundation so I'm building continually the church on a foundation that is once for all laid and is solid so Todd anybody who says they are an apostle or a prophet is taking that name to themselves. There are no modern-day apostles and prophets. Let me talk about the idea of prophets for a moment. When the New Testament was written, there were prophets. I mean, the Apostle Paul was a prophet. Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, James, Peter, um, um, the writer of Hebrews, I believe, to be the Apostle Paul. Um, These men were New Testament prophets. Um, They didn't know it, some of them. When they were writing the epistles, they didn't know that they were writing the very word of God. Peter had an idea that the Apostle Paul was, which I think is interesting. But a prophet simply is somebody who, who declares the word of God. Now in the Old Testament we got prophets who spoke forth the word of God. Those prophecies were often predictive in nature. That doesn't happen now. Now there's a gift of prophecy, and that gift of prophecy is exercised when we're speaking forth the word of God, but it's a word that we already have. So when somebody comes up and says, I was listening, and I can't think of who it was now, but I was listening to a, a radio program uh, about, uh, uh, no, I know who it was now, it was uh, uh, online, and it was a, um, a church service, and the pastor said, I'm going to read to you this word from the prophet, and he named some guy who's not really a prophet. That's so much, so much damage is caused by that very thing. So, Todd, there are no modern-day apostles. There are no modern-day prophets. The gifts of the Spirit are still functioning. But anyone who claims to be a prophet or an apostle is an imposter. Please, please, please be very, very careful. 3409585, Jeffrey says, should we confess our sins to other people or just to God? I think, Jeffrey, an argument can be made for both. I think when we sin against someone else, then we need to confess our sins to that brother or that sister that we have sinned against. Um, we need to ask forgiveness. We need to set things right. But generally speaking, because there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, just one, then generally speaking, we confess our sins to God. If we confess our sins as believers, Jeffrey, 1 John 1.9 says, we confess, that's to agree with God, that our sin is, is sin, If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness, and and our fellowship with God is restored. But when we sin against people, we need to accept responsibility. One of the things I'm going to talk about in my study tonight, uh, dealing with Cain and Abel, is um, that uh, uh, Cain was unwilling to accept responsibility for his sins. And he thought he could hide from God, and of course we know that doesn't work. But you know what he needed to do was repent. Now there was no Abel left. After Abel's murder, God was the only one to whom Cain could repent. But he didn't even do that. So I think we need as Christians, Jeffrey, to be man or woman enough when we sin against somebody to accept responsibility and say, you know what, I did it. I'm sorry I did it. I knew it was wrong no confession that says well you know if I offended you I'm sorry I didn't intend to but that's not a confession at all I think there's times we just kind of bite the bullet and say "I, I blew it and I'm sorry and I hope and pray you'll forgive me and I'll do better I think when we sin against people, that's the kind of confession that we ought to make. I also think, Jeffrey, that when we confess to God, we need not to confess just general things. We need to confess specific sins. When we fail, we need to go before the Lord and say, I did it. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. I'm sorry. And that's when that restoration with God, that connection and fellowship ought then to be ours. Thank you, Jeffrey, for the question. Here's a question I'm not sure I understand. Henry says, is progressive Christianity consistent with good doctrine? Um, Henry, generally speaking, when I hear, see the word progressive, uh, I always call it regressive. But when I hear the word progressive, I think liberal Christianity. And if that's what you mean, it is absolutely inconsistent with good doctrine. Inconsistent. So there's nothing doctrinally sound about progressive Christianity. I think those of us who are following the Word of God and we're living our lives according to the Word of God, I think when we do that, then we are really being progressive in the biblical and dictionary definition of the Word. Uh, And that is by declaring doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Uh, The reason he said that, Henry, is because uh, what we believe determines how we live our lives so I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Federico on line one from San Antonio Federico good to hear from you again you're on the air
3: Gloria a Dios benaventurado I learned thank you I, I learned the I Latin benedictos, it's blessed it. I learned the Hebrew <laughs> <laughs> beraka, veraca, bere, bere, Bereka yahoo that's, that's Jewish <laughs> That means blessed, blessings, and blessed by the Lord <laughs> in Hebrew and well, Jewish. Well,
1: thank you, Petra, Federico. That's how I'm feeling today.
3: <laughs> I know i I bought one of those glossaries that interprets Greek and Hebrew, and I'm getting into it. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I thought I you. Mean. I thought you were working on the Rosetta. That's
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> I got a question. Um, okay. I, I I want you to explain. The difference between the uh, the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar that we're under, and, and explain a little bit about the history on the Gregorian calendar. I want to do a study on the calendars.
1: Okay. Uh, There's there's a lot better resources for that than than I am, Federico. I can tell you the Jewish calendar, the biggest difference between the Jewish calendar and the calendar that we function with is that the Jewish year is a 360-day year, and of course we're a 365-day, and this year a 366-day year. But those are the two basic differences. The Julian calendar, which is the the, uh, forerunner to uh, the, the, the Gregorian calendar, uh, Is just uh, what was adopted by Rome. Uh, that was um, the, the way they took care of time. And when, when of course, the biblical days came, the 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 B.C. and the A.D. days. Um, that's just how they took care of him and that, that's been the calendar that's been adopted. But 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 it is an interesting subject, and I studied it a long time ago. I honestly just don't remember a whole bunch, Federico. But Google it, uh, history of the Gregorian calendar, and you will uh, you'll find the, sort of the the etymology of of uh, of the calendar. Yeah, I,
3: I know so much that uh, the Emperor Constantine in 326. A.D. instituted it, and uh, they changed it from the Jewishism, the lunar, and the Gregorians got to do with the solar, or vice versa. I forgot. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think Constantine, you know, Constantine professed Christianity in 313 A.D. And, um, yeah, 313 A.D., that was the start, by the way. That was the very beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, right. The the uh, the, the uh, he 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 was involved with the divorce, and uh, he couldn't get the blessings, so he he just established his own religion, and his religion was simply that um, um, I'll do I uh, make up my own rules as I go along, and then three thirteen A.D. That's when he declared Christianity the official religion of the world. Now there is no indication at all, Federico, that he was born again. Uh, there's right. no indication that he ever surrendered his heart to God uh, or lived a godly life, but uh, that right. was the beginning of of the Catholic meaning universal church, and because it was in Rome, that's where right. it started okay
3: yeah that's where he wanted to give control of the secular government and the religious part, right.
1: Um, yeah, he I'm not to be
3: both the wielder of power um, over the religion. And that's what I understood.
1: Well, um, uh, the Julian calendar was proposed by Julius Caesar in Julian. 708, way, way back. Um, but the Gregorian calendar is named after Pope Gregory, who introduced it. In October of 1582, so we, the, I said the Julian calendar was the forerunner of the Gregorian calendar, uh, but um, uh, I think what what uh, uh, Augustine wanted was he just wanted uh, to live a secular life with the veneer of being blessed by the church, and uh, so when he couldn't when he couldn't do that, then he just made up his own rules and. Um, 46 B.C., I think I said 46 B.C., I read it wrong, but yeah, uh, in 46 B.C. was when the, the Julian calendar was proposed first by Julius Caesar.
3: I, I got a friend, Pastor, that's a rabbi, and he says that this year, the Passover, and the Jewish, is celebrated on the 12th.
1: Yes, it's actually Easter, and this doesn't happen very often, but Easter and Passover are the same time this year. And uh, that is uh, a lot of people are giving a lot of credence to that, which which I don't think is a a, a prophetic word in any any sense or form.
3: No, and, and he said that it's supposed to be a pink moon, and it happens every four years in a millennia or something like that. <laughs> every uh, four times in a millennia, it's supposed to be a know, pink we... moon.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know anything about a pink moon. We've had some, some what's called blood moons uh, in, the, in the last few years, but I don't know about a pink moon. So I'll look that up, Federico. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, have a great good Friday and a great Easter service.
3: You have a blessed year, Pastor, and may all your congregation be blessed. May there always be love and peace and unity in your life and your home and your congregation and blessings of health and finances. And the peace you. and great to be with you and all your Thank
1: you. Federico, I have a feeling that wherever you go, peace, grace, love, and joy follows. So you keep doing that work. God bless you. Bye-bye. We have 30 minutes left in the program today. 340 for your live calls and questions. It's 340 You're listening to the Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. Um, can't wait to hear. We'd love your calls. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Bye-bye.
4: Don't have time to
0: call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email
1: them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com.
2: To stand on. Keep us in to
0: stand on. welcome back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
1: Welcome back to the program. We've got 30 minutes left on our Wednesday show. Uh, Eric says, um, how can you reconcile Hebrews 9.27 with Lazarus dying twice? Um, Eric, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed a men to die once and then face the judgment. Uh, is a general rule that um, applies you know, like 99.99% of the time to everybody in the world. But we know there's been um, uh, exceptions. E- Enoch was translated. Uh, Elijah uh, was taken up in a chariot. And and um, we know Lazarus was raised from the dead. But, but Jesus also raised some people from the dead. Elijah and Elisha raised some people from the dead. So generally speaking, uh, and that's what, what I believe the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 9 is talking about. You get one chance in this life. I, it's not an overarching statement that that forbids any possible departure from it. Remember, God gives us his word. Uh, and if God violates that general word, uh, then obviously there's a reason for it. So uh, Lazarus died twice. The Apostle Paul died twice. Um, We know others that died twice. So again, it's just a general rule, and it has nothing to do with a hard and fast rule that would deny the miraculous raising from the dead of any of those people. So uh, I'm having a hard time understanding why um, that is uh, difficult for you. So um, if I'm not getting it, please write back. Here is a question from Redding. I don't know if it's from Redding a place or Redding is the name. Um, I can't understand why God would make man if he knew how this world was going to turn out. God knew about the coronavirus, yet still lets men die from it. To me, that's a cruel God. Redding, I don't think you understand God at all, nor do you understand his creation. Why would God make man if he knew how the world was going to turn out? What about all the wonderful things that have happened in this world? I have the privilege of pastoring the, the best group of people in the world. If God didn't make us because He knew we were going to mess it up, then we'd have messed out. Now God gives free will to people and we make choices about what we're going to do. And God knew about that, but His love for us, for the world, was so great that because of the beauty in this world and because of the joy that that mankind would... would, would be to him I. he didn't stop everything, he didn't destroy everything did God know about this virus, of course he did but God knew about drunk driving too, God knew about sexual abuse, God knew about, I could list on and on and on these things but you see he didn't destroy the beauty of this world, just because there was ugliness in it Now, giving you the benefit of the doubt, this question sounds like you're afraid of this virus. But God didn't cause it. Another question I would ask you, Redding, why would you, who think about God the way you do, have any expectations at all that God would somehow protect you or bless you or keep you from the bad things that happen to people in this world all the time? I know a bunch of Christians who've had terrible, terrible, terrible things happen to them. But that doesn't negate the goodness of God. The world that we live in is not Heaven, and I think too often we try to make Earth Heaven and that's simply not the way it can be. So what we really need to do is understand who He is. See you look at God who made a world that was perfect. A world that man ruined and you say, okay well God knew that was going to happen why did he do it I see a world that God made man messed up and yet God continues to pour out grace. I mean he continues to repeatedly pour out grace. I am a recipient reading of that grace and to me that makes God bigger it makes him more beautiful it makes him more loving, certainly not cruel. I think we've got to stop thinking about God in the sense that he owes us a good life or a perfect life. God owes us nothing, and yet he gave us everything. So is this virus a frightening thing? Yeah, it is. But the truth of the matter is, is God didn't do it. This is a virus created by man. We're still messing up and yet God is still offering salvation. So Redding, let me close your question with this. I offer you a Jesus who loves you in spite of the way you think about him. You call him cruel and he looks at you and says, but I love you. You sin. And we do it willfully. We live in a world that flaunts their nose at God sinning expects god to put up with it and yet he still reaches out to you and says i'll give you a new life i'll take the pain and the emptiness in your heart and turn it into hope and beauty jesus promised us an abundant life and ready all you have to do is believe and if you're intellectually honest All you have to do is look at the empty tomb of Christ. We celebrate it on Sunday. If they really killed Jesus, if he really didn't stay dead, and we know the Bible for centuries predicted that would happen, if that tomb was really empty, then Jesus really was God. And then that leads you to ask the next question, well then if you were God, why did you let them kill you and he'll look at you writing and he'll say I did it for you I love you so much I didn't want you to suffer I don't want you to spend eternity separated from me and all you have to do is believe believe that Jesus is the Son of God that he's God the Son we know he lived we know he died historically there's no question the evidence is overwhelming we also know he didn't stay dead And now he offers you the abundant life he promised, a new beginning. Reading, obviously I don't know you. I was almost 40 years old when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I was a terrible, willful sinner. Terrible. And yet when my life absolutely fell apart, he was right there to offer me a hand and pick me up. It was 29 years ago. And my life has been rich and full ever since. It's not been easy. But it's been rich and it's been full. And He'll give you that opportunity as well. I pray that you'll come to know Him, Reading. Here is a question from Ken. He said, Is being slain or drunk in the spirit real? Um, No, Ken. Both of those things are um, horrible abominations. Um, Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And um, if you're slain in the spirit and under some foreign power, it's not the power of God. If you're drunk in the spirit... You're just fleshy, that's all. You're just carnal. And so none of it's real. It's sort of a mob mentality. People get caught up in things. But but there's no biblical precedent at all for either of those things. You know, Ken, over the years, we've had everything from laughing in the Spirit uncontrollably to throwing up in the Spirit uh, to, uh, as you said, being slain or drunk in the Spirit. Uh, there's nothing of value there and there is no you, you won't find Jesus in the middle of any of those things so it is not please don't get caught up in those things here is a question from Maxine this is always a hard one especially on the radio she says how would you explain the Trinity to an unbeliever um, I, I don't think I would explain the Trinity Maxine I think I would just declare the Trinity our Bible reveals to us that God is one God manifest in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. There's no problem finding in the Bible over and over and over each of the members of the Trinity referred to as God. Now, when somebody says, but, but that's three gods, one plus one plus one is three, I always say, yeah, but how much is one times one times one? because that's just one and that's the picture now here's I think the best way I would explain this to an unbeliever I would say that all three God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were involved in creation I would then say that they all have different roles God the Father who lives in unapproachable light is invisible he's a spirit and we could never relate to him And yet the Father wanted us to know who He was, so He sent His Son, this is the incarnation of Christ, so that we could relate to God. So Jesus' ministry was to reveal the Father. When Jesus was ready to leave, after His death and resurrection, He told His disciples, it's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, I will send another me to you exactly the same just different in physicality the Holy Spirit will be in you and the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment and to reveal the person of Christ as a way to escape that judgment so they just have different ministries different ministries let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one Ray thanks for calling you're on the air
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Sorry, I can't shake your hand and give you a hug.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Ray.
2: In, in my mind, it's there. <laughs> um, going back to the previous thing about being drunk and slain in the spirit, and that being total hogwash. If you can, if I can, if that's still politically correct. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was my initial, uh, observation or, or shyness about speaking in tongues. And, you know, it, it seems that, uh, if one is speaking in tongues and you say you do and, and you don't necessarily, there has to be interpretation or, but at any rate, it's a, it's a it's a gray matter for me and i imagine more than just myself as to that. if you could uh, delineate uh, you know it, it, i don't know what i'm saying
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do i think i got it ray i can do that thank okay. you very much for calling i'm, I'm listening on the you. radio okay we miss you um the, you know the, the the being slain in the spirit or drunk in the spirit is 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 being out of control speaking in tongues never is i mean we we do it in the flesh and and it's out of control in some churches but but when you're really praying in tongues you're praying by the power of the spirit of god it's never out of control you can stop it and start it when you want it's not something that comes over you and you just lose control and you're being directed by some outside force it's very controlled in fact, so controlled, you mentioned that, that when when in church, not individually, but when in church, we speak in tongues, there's an interpretation because there's got to be that kind of control. We've got to make sure that it's a word from God and that word can be understood. So the idea of being out of control doesn't apply at all to the gift of tongues. Now, the reason people have a hard time with it is because they don't understand it, but not understanding isn't the same as it being out of control, Ray. So being out of control is just not having any control over what's going on. Not understanding is just really saying, okay, Lord, this is a gift from you. You give good gifts. I'm going to believe it's good and I'm going to do what you told me to do. And the Bible says that the gift of tongues for the individual is edifying, strengthening in our walk. And we should all want that. So just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that we're out of control. I think we got to sometimes get to the point where we can say, Lord, uh, I trust you with this. And, Ray, I think that pleases God a great deal. So I hope that helps. Thanks very much. Let's go to line two and talk with Matthew from San Antonio. Matthew, thank you for holding. You're on the air.
5: Hello, Pastor Ron. Yeah, no problem. I, I'll, you're, it's, it's worth the wait. Um, thank you. And God God bless you, um, especially through this uh, trial time uh being on the air and and uh, with uh, God's wisdom, uh, you're you're doing very good. And I appreciate that. Um, I just have a concern. Um, I'm a longtime caller, and I'm um, concerned about Matthew 13 about uh, the parable uh, the parable of the sower, And I'm just concerned uh, that I'm one of the ones that. The the seed dropped on the rocks and stuff like that. I I, I get I get all of that, but um, how am I? Can you elaborate that a little bit, please, to kind of clarify that for me? Because I'm concerned that I'm one of those bad ones, even though um, I don't know how to explain it. But I just, I'm just concerned that I'm one of the ones that you know that um, he's talking about because Jesus is talking about it, and then I'm just like. I don't want to be cut off, Lord, you know. And I just, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in that situation to where I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to walk in the, you know, walk in righteousness for the Lord. And I and then I read that over and over again. I'm just like, oh Lord, I don't want to be any of, you know, any of those negative ones, you know, and things yeah. like that. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll uh, listen to your answer on the phone. And again, thank you for your wisdom and God bless you.
1: Thank you, Matthew, and thank you for your honest heart. I love it very, very much. The fact, Matthew, that, that you're concerned about indicates that you're not one of those soils that, that isn't going to bear fruit. Now, you may be working a little too hard or, um, you know, worried about the wrong things, but um, let's, let's, Jesus, this is the only parable that Jesus defines for us. It's a foundation parable. And, and we have to understand what this parable is about. And when we read this, the enemy twists it upside down and we get lost and we, and we worry. We wonder like you're wondering about, well, is this the one I am? Um, when really the parable is about sowing the word of God. Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. And our job, and he's talking to the sower, the scatterer of the seed. He's not talking about the receiver of the seed. He's talking to the sower of the seed. And what he's telling you, Matthew, and he's telling me, is that our responsibility is to sow the seed of the Word of God everywhere we go. God will worry about which kind of ground that it falls on. And he says, when you're scattering the word, when you're when you're sowing the word of God, then it's going to land on different kind of soils. So when the one that received the seed that fell in the rocky place, the man who hears the word and receives it with joy immediately, but because there's no root, you know, there's rocks everywhere in Israel. And this would have been an illustration that all of Jesus's listeners would have would have heard uh, and understand immediately, Um, you know, a little bit of dirt will fall on the top of a rock. And if you sow a seed there, it'll sprout for just a moment because there's no depth of soil. Uh, And we see a lot of people who receive the the word of God. Oh, that's great, that's great, I'm going to go to heaven. But they don't last because there's no root. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, that person quickly falls away. Now, I I don't want to confuse you here because that's what he's telling us. But if you're concerned about being that rocky soil, just don't be. It's really that simple. Just, just say, Lord, I want to grow. And and that means you're going to dig into the Word. It means you're going to really, really spend time with the Lord. And as the Spirit of God empowers you, you're going to scatter seed wherever you go as well. So you don't have to worry. This parable is not warning the, 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 the person who is that rocky soil heart he's telling you that when you scatter seed don't worry about it falling on those people we get people all the time in church Matthew who people will will say well but that person gave his life to Jesus and then he went right back out into his sin well that's because uh, the word sounded good he received it emotionally there was joy but he quickly falls away then there's one that received the seed that fell among the thorns Jesus says uh, that person is the fruit is choked out by the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth and it produces no fruit so if you're a person Matthew who is more worried about things of this world than the things of God well then you can change soils I'll explain that in a moment And then he follows that by saying, the one who received the seed that fell on good soils, the man who hears the word understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And you can purpose in your heart to be that soil. And there's where your heart is, Matthew. I I can hear that. You don't want to be the one that doesn't last. You don't want to be the one that falls away. You don't want to be unfruitful. So you just say, Lord, I want to be the one who produces a crop bringing honor and glory to you. And here's the thing that you need to know and again, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here because uh, I know where your heart is coming from. I know how the devil works. Um, all you can do is say, Lord, I want to be Matthew 13:23. that's who I want to be. And you can change even if you're the one that receives it with joy but you don't last very long or the one that's fruitfulness is choked out by the thorns of life or the deceitfulness of wealth you just say, Lord, I don't want to be those. So I'm going to produce a crop and I'm going to do that by hearing the word and I'm going to dig in I'm going to understand it. And Matthew, the Lord hears your heart. He hears your heart. So please, please, please don't let the enemy twist this parable It just it's, a, it's, it's one for you and me to go scatter seed wherever we go tell people about Jesus wherever you go when you do that some are going to reject it some are going to be interested and they're not going to follow through but you've done your job now I'm sowing the seed to you and I'm telling you that what you can do now Is produce a crop dig in feast in the word devour it and believe me the word working in you working through you will make your life the abundant life that Jesus promised Matthew thank you for the call I've got time I think for one more call we've got Jimmy on line three Jimmy thanks for holding we've got less than three minutes now
4: well hey um um um, I'm a patrol officer for a security company, and I've been doing this for five years. And now, um, my chief has me learning this computer system and uh, the uh, control room. And at first, I was scared to do it because I was—it was overwhelming. But now, I'm getting better at it. But today, I was working down there, and uh, I was down there, and and I felt like somebody else came to me something else was thrown at me and I didn't know what to do and she didn't want to help me so I was like like uh, what do I do you know and and, then I felt like a failure. so today I felt like a Mm failure. and is there anything like (laughs) in the scriptures saying that you know here I try my best you know and I've done as a Navy corpsman I've tried my best and everything but
1: I'm just human, you know. Yeah, Jimmy, we're, we're running out of time, so let me get, let me answer you really quickly, and I want you to take this to heart. Uh, this won't be the last time you fail. It won't be. It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. What we're to do as Christians is do all things as unto the Lord. Do it with the right heart. Do it with the right attitude. Do it to the best of our ability. And then the results are in His hands. And when you fail, then you can simply run to the Lord and say, Jesus... This just proves how miserable I can be when I try to do things in my own strength. And this is when I always pray, Jimmy, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And, And just, okay, Lord, I don't want to do things in my own strength. I want you to do it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And there will be many times of failure, small failures, we hope, but failures nonetheless. And you don't really need to worry about it. Just say, Lord, I did my best. I'm sorry. Help me do better next time. He's always there. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Tonight, online, calvarysa.com Genesis chapter 4 at 7 o'clock. Paula will be live in studio tomorrow on the 8-day edition program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arball.